Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Bruce, founder and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. There is no doubt that data is the foundation for the entire digital transformation process, allowing organizations to make better real-time decisions and enable the improvement of experiences across the entire customer journey. Organizations that have invested in data transformation have seen tangible results from improved business models, driving efficiency and new revenue opportunities. But data transformation is often the hardest part of digital transformation because the structure of current data, the distribution of insights, and the lack of skills and resources to commit to a holistic data strategy. Our guest for the show is Karthik Ravindran, GM Enterprise Data at Microsoft. He discusses the opportunities and challenges that have taken place as part of the data transformation process at Microsoft and why data maturity is the key to success in the digital world. Welcome to the show today, Karthik. Uh, before we begin the interview, could you provide a short backgrounder on your role at Microsoft? Yeah. Hey, Jim. Thank you. Very happy to be here. So first and foremost, thank you for having me on the show. Super exciting. Yeah, so my name is Karthik, and I work at Microsoft. I've been at Microsoft now for roughly 22 years. In my current role, I lead a team that's called the Enterprise Data Team within an organization called Microsoft Digital. Think of Microsoft Digital as Microsoft's internal IT organization. And we lead all of the technology investments within Microsoft for our own internal digital transformation. And my team is focused on building what we broadly speak to as our data platforms and our data foundations to power our digital transformation investments. And prior to my current role, which I've been in now for roughly about two years, I've also led data transformation investments in Microsoft Office 365 and Microsoft News. So the last decade of my career at Microsoft has been very focused on data modernization investments. And then prior to that, I held a variety of roles in product management and engineering and different Microsoft products. So very happy to be here and thank you for having me. So it's interesting. So your role really is very similar to a lot of the people that be listeners who are to try and transform their organizations. So we're coming up on two years of delivering the Bank and Transform podcast. And every show we have done is touched on the importance of data analytics as a foundation for successful digital banking transformation. Despite the universal understanding of the importance of using data and analytics for better decisions and experiences, our research continues to show that banks and credit unions continue to be challenged by building a, a strong data strategy. How should we think about data transformation in the context of digital transformation? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I would start with the driver because even within Microsoft internally, prior to starting out on the data transformation journey, the first question we had to ask ourselves was why? Because we had reasonably good data systems that were running the business and we knew that something was missing, we had to change something, but we couldn't quite put our thumb on the why. So we actually went back to the drawing board and put a deep thought into it. And where we landed was the recognition that digital transformation, data transformation are all very fancy buzzwords. Like if you speak to like five people, you'll probably get five different definitions. You know, so we really had to step, take a step back and think about what is it that we were actually trying to transform, evolve, change, whatever you want to call it, right? And where we landed on is sort of the opportunity for us to be able to apply data in ways that we've not done in the past. What I mean by that is in the past, we had applied data primarily, to your point, to gain insights into how our business was performing, right? Like to operationalize our metrics, to look at our metrics, and to be able to adjust our day-to-day -day decision making and business processes. 
but we weren't truly applying data to its fullest in terms of being able to A, connect data from across the enterprise. So a lot of our operations were about applying data in specific business contexts. While with the evolution of Microsoft to being a cloud company, it became increasingly aware to us that we actually needed to not just look at data in silos, but look at data as connected data where we can bring data from across the company, stitch it, integrate it, generate connected intelligence about our customers, about our employees, about our products, about our operations, and not just use that insights and intelligence to understand how the business is performing, but actually use it to transform the experiences of our products for our customers, for our employees, as well as optimize our internal operations. So the big aha moment for us was taking stock of how little we were actually doing that in the sense that we apply data a lot to look at metrics and dashboards and reports, but we weren't really fully pushing the envelope on how can we take that intelligence and feed it back into the systems that we are building, whether it's our customer facing products, whether it's our employee experiences, or whether it's our internal business operations. And then looking at it through the lens of great, what could we actually transform here? And then landing on key goals, which all anchored around this whole concept of personalization and contextualization, right? So whether it's customer experiences, whether it's employee experiences, it's really about how can you make those experiences more personal, more contextual, to do which you really have to understand not just the macro sort of like data points, but a lot of the micro signals that you get about day-to-day sort of like use of your products and services, whether customers, whether employees, whether internal business processes, there's a lot of rich telemetry and data that's being emitted at all of these edges which we hadn't truly brought together, connected, stitched to generate that cohesive intelligence that we could then take and apply back into our products to make them truly personal, contextual, and efficient. So that was kind of at the outset what we set out to say, and look, as a part of this data modernization and data transformation, we really have to break out of our business intelligence silos, figure out how can we connect enterprise data end-to-end really well, go beyond just metrics and dashboards to actually apply the intelligence that we get from the data into our products and experiences, and transform the culture of the organization most fundamentally to get into that habit of becoming more data-driven, not just in terms of understanding the business, but also looking to how they can apply data to improve their products and services, right? So it's the combination of the business driver, the technology challenge, as well as very importantly, the cultural transformation needed to bring it all together, which were like the pillars of what we now broadly speak to as our digital transformation journey and in context, our data modernization and transformation journey. So... What's interesting is one of the dynamics we saw during the pandemic and now after the pandemic is that our, we found that our research found that financial institutions actually rate themselves lower on data analytics maturity today than they did before the pandemic. Now, do you think this might be because the overall tide rose on what is needed or because FIs may have overestimated what their data capabilities were before the pandemic and then were caught maybe a little bit flat-footed? That is such a great question. In fact, I would say the pattern that you just described is beyond just the financial industry. I think it kind of cuts across cross verticals. And the reason I say this is because a part of my role is also speaking to our own customers from across multiple segments and industries on a regular basis. And what you just described here struck the card as a common theme that I've heard over and over again. And I think that it comes down to this. Prior to the pandemic, like the organizations and businesses weren't really sort of in a place where they had a forcing function to think about sort of a different way of operating or a different way of running their business, right? And it's very key to make the distinction between the term digitization and digital transformation, right? Digitization is a lot about like automation and sort of like what IT has traditionally been known to do. Versus digital transformation is more fundamental. It's not just automation. Like you can apply the modern tech and automate all you want, but you still may not digitally transform. 
it does require you to take a fundamental step back and think about what cultural changes do you need to drive? What process transformations do you need to make happen? How do you change the mechanisms through which your products are delivered to your customers? How do you engage with your customers in a world where you no longer have physical contact, which is kind of what the pandemic put us in a state in, right? So it fundamentally requires you to reimagine your products, reimagine the channels through which your experiences are delivered, reimagine your customer interactions, all of which kind of, I think, to a large extent, really woke up organizations to first and foremost ask the questions, great, where do we go next? Why do we innovate? What do we do? Do we have enough data to make the right decisions? And I think that ends up opening up the insight into a huge chasm in terms of not having all of that fine-grained data, let alone fine-grained data, but even aggregated data that's truly connected from across all of the business to drive that kind of investment decision-making and prioritization of investments. So I think the digital transformation truly brought upon us sort of like this aha moment, you know, which is like, wow, there's so much we need to understand. Like take marketing, for example, like marketing in the pre-digital transformation world, and let's even say the pre-pandemic world was largely about great sending some specific emails to your customers, or maybe marketing to them in your brick and mortar stores when they walk into the store, fancy banners, you know, to catch the attention of customers and so on and so forth. But what do you do in an era of the pandemic, like the one that we just sort of like are living in right now and trying to get out of, right? The way in which you have to be able to interact with your customers, the channels have evolved, being able to understand your customer signals from every point of interaction through every digital channel is significant. Being able to connect all of that rich data to truly understand what your customers are trying to achieve and guide them down the right paths of discovering and using your product has sort of evolved. Right. So a lot of these were sort of always on the minds of, 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 of leading technology companies like in the past. But now I think the pandemic and the onset of the pandemic has sort of like in a, in a forcing function way driven every organization to think about how are they going to fundamentally change for this new world, <laughs> which will, I think, my perspective going forward will continue to be a world of hybrid sort of work and hybrid living. <laughs> right. Where if there's one thing that we've all learned, it's like you can actually get a get a lot done even without having to be physically present always, you know, and 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 how do we create the right experiences for a hybrid world like that is going to be hugely informed by data insights and intelligence. So what are some of the key drivers you hear from organizations that invest in a data transformation strategy? The first one that we always hear about is great. I mean, we've got all these rich signals, like how do we bring these signals together from across the company and how do we truly connect them to generate intelligence? Right. So the number one challenge that a lot of organizations struggle with is we've got data in silos spread across the company. And we know we need to bring that data together and, and integrate the data to truly get those connected insights that we need to transform our products and our experiences. And we're not quite sure where to start. You know, like, uh, like, do we build a single data infrastructure where we bring all the data together? Do we keep the data wherever it is and then sort of figure out some federated way to enable access to all of that rich data? And then once we start building our data applications, how should we deploy them? How should we operate them? So most of this would, I say, broadly categorize and be described as the, the technical challenges that the organizations face, right? So there's a core technology sort of element around building the right data foundation, the right data infrastructure, which tends to be top of mind, like for the CDO, as well as the CTO or the CIO, depending on who the CDO's partner is. Where I think the CDO's role goes beyond just the technical component is the other two dimensions, which are also top of minds for our customers, one being the business and the other being the cultural transformation, right? So from a business perspective, a top sort of consideration is great. How do we decide? Where do we prioritize? Like, where should we put our investments to truly sort of transform? Because digital transformation is not an overnight journey. You have to be able to 
break it up and incrementally navigate a journey with full understanding that it's going to be an iterator virtuous cycle of learning and doing from learning. <laughs> you know, so I think our own experience has taught us that like, like just get really comfortable with living in ambiguity and using as much data as you can to guide some informed decision making, but also be prepared for data to teach you things that you may not sort of necessarily know upfront. <laughs> And then when you learn those outcomes, be ready to pivot and adjust your investments accordingly. So adopting a very iterative sort of mindset to prioritizing and evolving the, the business sort of like transformation priorities is, I think, very, very critical because it's not as simple as turn off a switch and turn on a switch and now you're digitally transformed. So within Microsoft, for instance, we picked a very specific domain to start our journey in. Like we really doubled down on taking our our sales and marketing sort of like domains, which are front and center to how we communicate with our customers and engage with our customers. And where we really had to sort of rethink how we sort of do it really well in this day and age of not just the cloud services, but also in the pandemic journey that we've just traversed over the last year, right? And, and sales and marketing is also one of those domains where we need to bring together data from across the enterprise, from sales, from marketing, from finance, from operations, customer support, service, product usage, all of that rich data needs to be connected to truly understand the customer's journey, what's the next best recommendation to make to a customer, how to nurture a customer, and then target the right communication through the right digital channel to drive mutual outcomes. Right. So we picked out, we picked up a very specific domain and then we came down with a very specific set of experiments that we wanted to run in the domain and then gradually ran sort of like projects that helped us build those experiences, iterate on those projects and evolve from there. And as we did that, we learned a ton and then we took those learnings and started applying it into other domains, which were in various states of digitization to digital transformation and somewhere in between. And in some cases, sort of like purely in automated states, but not really in the transformed states. Great. The third key dimension is, I would say, the cultural dimension, which a lot of people sort of like uh, sort of like struggle with, you know, which is to truly make all of this work. We need teams across the organization to be data savvy, to be capable of applying data. And we need to get an IT department that has previously always locked all of the data to open up the data and make it democratized to all the different teams to go and apply. Right. And by the way, we need the, the CDO who's kind of stuck in the middle to work across the CTO, the CIO, as well as sort of like the business leaders to, to make all this magic happen. The cultural transformation, if any, has been, I would say, the, the hardest challenge of, of any journey, you know, and people would be surprised to hear that even in Microsoft, we have those challenges and we still do, you know, because it's a massive change in mindset in terms of how you approach this. It's very easy to say that you're, that you want to be data-driven, you aspire to be data-driven and to actually be data-driven. <laughs> You know, and uh, because at the end of the day, like being able to apply data to inform your day-to-day -day decisions, to be able to infuse data into your experiences as you build them into your products, all of these are, they require a, a, an evolved mindset relative to how we have sort of like made decisions and operated our products in the past. And then recognizing that every function needs to have some kind of data savviness or data competency to be able to do that really well also requires investments in terms of people, either developing your existing people to become data savvy or investing in data talent. Combined with the, the, the cultural shift of being able to responsibly democratize data, the key word being responsible democratization, right? Because it's always a balance between access and control and neither can be an excuse for blocking the other. Very often you'll have the, the diehard sort of IT folks saying like, oh, access control is the most important and democratization should be an afterthought. 
And then you'll have like the chief marketing officer or the more sort of edge-facing business leaders coming in and saying like, nope, for me, innovation takes top priority. And if you can unblock it, I'm going to figure out my own solution, right? And the reality is it's got to be both. Like you need a balance between access and control. You can't compromise sort of access for the sake of control and you can't compromise control for the sake of like opening up the, uh, the doorway to everything. So striking that balance was a very core principle for us, you know, which is recognizing that data has to be democratized, but it has to be democratized responsibly. And now how do you build the right technology foundations to enable that, right? So uh, to summarize, I would say uh, technical, business, cultural, the three big sort of like uh, areas to really think about in terms of forming a strategy for uh, data transformation. So it's interesting. We, we sometimes forget that massive big tech firms such as Microsoft have many of the same issues and opportunities internally when trying to execute a data transformation strategy. Where did you start? But most importantly, what challenges did you face that most organizations are going to face? You you mentioned culture and leadership that, you know, we we talk a good game, but we don't always approach it the right way. So what what challenges did you face and how how did you address these? That's a great question. So our biggest challenge was was largely cultural. And I'll break it down into the specific elements so that so that we can get more clarity on that, right? So, and also to give a little bit of history, because like about, I would say roughly eight-ish years ago, like we attempted one of these large-scale data transformation journeys, you know, where uh, we tried to sort of like uh, kind of centralize, you know, a lot of the common data foundations that we wanted everyone in the company to be able to align to and start using. But we kind of went a little too far on the centralization, you know, where we try to centralize both the infrastructure and the foundation, as well as centralize the applications of the data on that infrastructure. And that became very limiting to the teams, and rightfully so, because the domain knowledge and the expertise to adopt and use data exists in the individual teams. And a truly good data transformation journey should enable an AND effect, the AND effect being like common scalable ways to operate your data, manage it, keep it secure, governed, and compliant combined with a federated agility where each of the business teams and engineering teams can apply the data in their day-to-day sort of like investments. And our first foray into trying to come up with a modern data system about eight years ago did not succeed because we were trying to centralize everything, (laughs) right? Then we kind of took a hiatus, we took a gap, and then now we restarted the journey roughly about three years ago since, uh, uh, since my team was formed and we started uptaking this challenge, you know, which is like, great, what did we learn from the past? And what should we preserve from the past and what should we change from what we learned from the past? And where we landed on was to say, like, look, it's like the users of the data are absolutely right in saying that they need flexibility, agility to be able to serve their own needs. The data owners need to be are absolutely right in saying that they need to be able to have the governance controls and knobs over their data. <laughs> you know, the data consumers are totally right in saying that they should be able to access the data when they need it, where they need it to make their decisions in a timely fashion. And how do we enable all of that goodness without compromising the fundamentals of operating a secure, compliant, and governed data estate? You know, where we make it really simple for data owners to own and manage their data through common mechanisms. We make it really simple for data consumers to subscribe to and find and use the data that they need in compliance with the data owner policies. And we provide the common foundation and the infrastructure to enable all of that. The reason I gave you this background was because the fundamental cultural challenges that we had to navigate were based on this. But the first cultural challenge was data owners did not want to go to a common infrastructure or foundation because based on their past experience, they had lost the keys to their data. And we had to make sure that in the future state, that's not the case, that they are still owners of their data, they still manage their data. And they can do that now on a system where they don't have to invest engineering or operation cycles to build and run those systems to do that. 
Instead, they can focus on the art of owning data and governing data. Data consumers, we had to win them over as well because data consumers in the past were asked to hand over their keys to building data products and to building data solutions, and they were burnt by that, and they needed complete sort of like guarantee that in this new world that they would not lose that flexibility. So we had to help the data consumers get over the fence and seeing how they can still build the data solutions. But they could do that on an infrastructure that will provide them the guardrails to ensure that whatever they build is secure, compliant, and governed. And that they would do that by accessing and using data that's governed by the policies defined by the data owners, right? So creating kind of the data economy, if you may, you know, where we bring together the publishers and the consumers and give them all the guardrails and frameworks that they need to build and operate data in a secure way, but also not requiring them to become engineering or operations experts to do all of that and instead focus on that differentiation in their data and data solutions was the biggest aha moment that we had to kind of navigate and land. So a lot of our cultural transformation was around helping the, the data consumers and the data owners understand that they're not going to lose their flexibility or their agility. In fact, it's going to be further accelerated now on a common foundation that's going to help keep them safe, secure, compliant, and governed. All of which, by the way, are increasingly important now with all of the growing regulatory compliance requirements and demands of data management, right? And it's also about finding that happy, the happy medium, you know, where there's a pain point that everybody can agree to. And the pain point being that none of our data owners or data consumers wanted to have to be responsible for the evolving regulatory compliance requirements around data. How do you keep data SOCs compliant? How do you keep data GDPR compliant? How do you keep data privacy compliant? Complex challenges with constantly evolving regulatory requirements in the industry and from governing bodies, which is very difficult for all of these teams to stay on top of. So we give them the value prop and say like, hey, all of these fundamentals are covered for you and you can safely build and run your data solutions on a foundation that gives you these fundamentals. That's like a win-win proposition. So the approach we had to take, obviously, when we first started out, it was like, I would say, a 50, 30, 20 equation. What I mean by that is 50% of the teams were super excited. Let's go. 30% were like, okay, I'm going to sit on the fence and wait to see what happens with the first 50%. And 20% was just like, nope, we're not going there. It's like, it's like we're going to continue to build and run our own infrastructure. Thank you. Right. So, so, and here is a key lesson on this, right? Because like we could have sat and spun cycles and cycles of time trying to bring over the 30 and bring over the 20, but we did not do that. Instead, we focused on the 50. And then we picked a strategic partner in the 50 who was willing to move ahead and who had a real use case to go demonstrate this, right? And then we worked completely with that partner, landed a killer showcase of what can be done with a modern architecture. And that in turn, by doing and telling and showing, built the confidence in the community. Because when your customers go tell that story to their peer teams, there's nothing better than that versus you trying to go sell your own wares. So it's about recognizing that you don't have to be a, a completist to have impact. <laughs> you know, and, and this is a very, very famous quote by our chief digital officer, Andrew Wilson, who always says this. It's like, you guys beat yourself up so hard and trying to be completists. You don't have to be completists. Like you can have a lot of impact by picking something focused, going and nailing it, and then building evidence that helps you then iterate and do more. Right. So, so that was like, for me personally, that was like a mindset shift change internally as well, because from being a perfectionist to sort of being a non-completist, but really focusing on the impact that you could achieve by even a selective investment was an aha moment for me. And, and I learned that and I enjoyed that. And then from there, we iterated. And then gradually, the 30% that were on the fence started becoming pro, started coming over because their partners who they work with had success with us and were telling our story for us. You know, and then today I would say we are more like in a 
in an in an 80-10-10 state. You know, so we've kind of shifted the needle to 80% being onboarded into our new story. Uh, there's 10% that's still on the fence, still figuring out when they move. And there's still a 10% that we're continuing to work with and trying to sort of bring over, bring over the fence from being sort of like the uh, the folks who do not want to adopt or embrace to hopefully changing them soon at some point in the future. So it's interesting. Organizations in the past have used data and analytics more for a look backwards to see what had already occurred and, and how they had hit their KPIs, things of that nature, as opposed to using data as a tool for proactive business planning and customer engagement. Mm-hmm. How did Microsoft make this paradigm change from using data to measure things to using data to plan and to project things? Absolutely. So I would say the biggest shift that actually made us get there was the fundamental shift of our business model from being a box product software company to being a cloud-first company, right? So I would say like roughly about two decades ago, 25 years ago, Microsoft was all about packaged software that shipped on CDs and sort of like bits that would get distributed through the physical supply chain. You know, and in that day and age, I mean, data to look at your business performance numbers as an afterthought or sort of reactively was good enough to run the business. Yes, you needed some level of predicting and forecasting, but but the business was fairly sort of like uh, standardized in the sense that, hey, you would sign like five-year volume licensing deals with your enterprise customers, you're good to go for five years. And then as the five-year mark approaches, you'll have to figure out like, great, what's your renewal strategy, upsell strategy, and, and whatnot, right? But then with the shift to products like Azure, Microsoft 365, Xbox in the cloud, and now almost every Microsoft product which is in the cloud, the equation changed, right? And the cloud economy is very different than the box product and the brick and mortar economy. <laughs> Right. Your customers today have an opportunity to switch to a competitor like this, right? It is like there's no more sort of like five-year contracts and multi-year deals to actually abide by, right? It's like you earn your credibility and your right to serve the customer every day that the customer uses your product. <laughs> and that's a key word. Every day your customer uses your product is not just an opportunity for them to use the product the way they've used it, but it's also an opportunity for you to influence them to use it in ways that they have not used it yet. <laughs> It's also an opportunity for you to sort of like show them what else do you have in your portfolio that could augment what they're trying to accomplish and thereby grow a mutually beneficial sort of cross-sell and upsell motion into your customers. And none of that would be possible if you really did not understand what your customers are doing, if you really did not understand who your customers are, what do they do, like what are the priorities they're trying to solve. And this is where the data becomes critically important. Like if you took a modern customer journey today, right? And I'll give you a real example. Like I would say 20 years ago, a customer of Office an application that we all can recognize is about using a particular office app, right? It's about using Word or using Excel or using Outlook, you know? And 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 versus today, a customer journey is not just about when they're in the app. Like when a customer lands on the office.com website, that's a touch point. When the customer navigates the videos, the tutorials, the content and the documentation of office, those are all interactions. When the user chooses to sign up for a trial and use a trial for seven days, that's an interaction. Then the user gets contacted by a salesperson or a partner to sort of educate them on what the product can do for them. That's a touch point. (laughs) Then the user buys a product. And after they buy the product, the ongoing engagement to keep nurturing the user through not just the product, but through mobile channels, through social channels, through email, you know, through the web, through the online experiences, all of those are touch points, right? So one of the fundamental shifts in this cloud economy and cloud products is your touch points are not just your product. Your touch points are pretty much omni-channel edges, as well as the life cycle of your customer is an ongoing virtuous cycle. You no longer have that 
that what do you call this that that sticky sort of like business model where once you close a deal you're good for the next five years you got to earn your customers right every single day so that transformation that transformation to the cloud economy and the cloud way of building and operating products across our product line kind of really got us gave us the wake up call right which is like like how do you for instance know when your customer of your cloud subscription is going to churn you know how do you know whether your trial customer is going to convert to a paid customer or not you know, how do you know whether your customers who have signed up for a particular subscription have opportunities to use something else that you might have which they have not discovered yet? And to do to gain those insights, you have to go beyond just looking at data as an afterthought. You have to intrinsically sort of capture those signals and action those signals, you know, back in the same experiences that your customers are using day to day to be able to nurture them to grow value for the customer as well as grow your business. And that is a fairly common sort of set of aspects that applies to any business. It doesn't just apply to Microsoft. Like every industry this day is kind of like in some shape or form in the cloud, right? Like every industry, including traditional industries, have sort of like online digital presences and sort of like cloud-based channels through which they engage with their customers, both owned and operated by them, as well as owned and operated through sort of the, the broader industry, you know? And so, so being able to adapt to that sort of like that, that new world of business and, and to do which data is super crucial, you know, and then to do which you have to fundamentally rethink how you set up and apply data beyond just the metrics and dashboards and reports. So it's interesting. I mean, what you just said there is is enlightening because it also, as you said, applies to every industry. Microsoft went from a product sales model to an engagement model because it wasn't just about, can I sell another office suite or can I get one more year subscription? It's really, how much can we engage? How much can we get dialogue going? How, how often do they, I mean, we talk about uh, PayPal saying they want to build a, a, a super app because they want to have more engagement on an ongoing basis with the mobile app. Well, it's, it's no different with Microsoft. It's no different with the financial services industry. You're really looking and saying, we don't keep the customer unless we get them to engage more frequently over time. And in, a, in effect, they get value. It's a value exchange, isn't it? You're absolutely right. In fact, you summarized it so beautifully from a product and sales model to like an engagement model. You know, it's like, I like that so much better. It truly is the engagement economy, you know, where I think the industry has shifted from the notion of macro transactions to micro transactions. In fact, I would even change it to not even looking at it as a transaction, but to look at it more as micro engagements to use your term, you know, and every engagement, every touch point is vital. Because not every engagement and touch point is going to generate some business outcome that you might aspire for explicitly. But every touch point influences a business outcome that you're driving towards. Every touch point influences a customer value outcome that you want the customer to realize so that there's a synergy between the customer value realization and the growth of your business. And then recognizing the various edges where those where you have opportunities to have those micro engagements, that's the true, I would say, the golden nugget of digital transformation, right? Because uh, when you really look at it as every engagement has an opportunity to grow your product, grow your business, grow your customer loyalty and your customer's experiences, I think the opportunities open up pretty materially, you know, and then now it becomes a question of how do you know where to invest, like which channels are the highest impact channels. And even then, even once you identify that, how do you personalize and contextualize the engagement? Because these days, consumers and customers, the, the attention span, you know, the ability to sort of retain their attention, it's in, in especially in the digital world, it's, 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 it's fairly low, you know, and you've got a window of time within which you need to be able to pop up something and, and, and that is meaningful, contextual, and is going to grab the customer's attention. 
And to be able to deliver those types of micro meaningful interactions and engagement sort of like uh, messages, it's like you really, really need to understand your customer and what they're doing. So, uh, and guess what? The fuel to do that is data, right? Because without data, you really can't do that. So it's, it's interesting because we, we talked about this and, you know, one of the things that we keep on saying in, in almost everyone on our podcast is that in order to keep pace with what the needs of the consumers and businesses are, many organizations need to partner with a solution provider. It may be a cloud provider, maybe a provider such as Microsoft. It, some, in some way, we don't have the ability to build everything we want. Now, I'm wondering at Microsoft, do you partner with outside providers in order to, to up your game? Or, or do you, and on the reverse side of that, how do you partner with financial institutions to help facilitate and escalate their data transformation process? Absolutely. So I think every organization would be really well served by trying to truly put some thought into discerning, like what is their core IP versus what is not their core IP, right? So Microsoft, for instance, we have a very simple model for choosing when we invest in sort of our partner solutions versus when we build our own. And it really comes down to the notion of like what we consider as being core IP versus not, right? And then uh, internally for our own internal sort of digital transformation and IT investments and application investments, that's like the front and center pillar that we apply, you know, and truly understanding. And data is a very tricky one because there'll be, there are vendors there who try to convince you that data is not a core IP, you know, and we, we have a different point of view on that. Like we truly believe that every brand's and organization's data is unique. You know, and truly, truly understanding the nuances of the data, whether it's customer data, employee data, operations data, is very contextual to the brand and the operations of the brand. You know, because brand differentiation and personalization is, I think, a core factor that drives sort of the difference between the truly sort of successful, impactful brands and everybody else. And a brand truly needs to own their data and own their insights and intelligence from the data to be able to apply it in the ways that are most meaningful to their customers. But the difference is not every brand needs to invest in the underlying infrastructure to be able to do that, right? Like every brand trying to build their own infrastructure, trying to build their own data lake or their own data warehouse sort of like underlying plumbing or trying to build their own relational database technology, you know, or trying to build their own sort of like cloud scale sort of NoSQL database technology, right? That I think every brand does not have to try and solve because there's a lot of those hard problems that have been solved by sort of the, the technology companies that offer those solutions, right? So really being able to discern like what's your core differentiation, but also not pushing it too far to the other extreme, you know, where uh, you sort of take your data and all of your data assets and kind of put it completely into the hands of sort of like a service provider to not just operate the infrastructure for you, but to also apply the data for you. That's the part where I think there's a fine gray zone, you know, where you really have to take a step back and think about what you should hold on to, right? So from a PR data perspective, uh, in terms of what we do for our FSI customers, as well as I would say broad cross-industry domain customers, is continuing to sort of like inculcate this notion of saying like, hey, you are the brand, you own your data, but you need to have a great technical infrastructure to be able to operate, run, and operate that data. And that's an infrastructure where I think we can help you in terms of giving you sort of like all of the platform foundations and tools and tech that we need to be able to do that. But we do sort of like suggest and recommend that you own your data assets, you own your data products and solutions that's built and operated on that infrastructure. And that you treat that as core IP differentiation, which you don't offload and sort of hand off to, let's say, for instance, a vendor or a solution provider. You know, and this is why you'll hear us often describe ourselves as a platform company. And today we still hold true to that. You know, it's just that in my particular team, since my team is more internal IT, we also happen to be the first customers of the platforms that we build in Microsoft. 
you know, so our team is also referred to as customer zero, you know, which is uh, any and every tech that comes out of our products is first and foremost applied within Microsoft ID, <laughs> you know, and it's enterprise tested is, is, is enterprise readiness sort of like validated, you know, before we sort of look to take it out and push it out more broadly to the universe. You know, uh, so so really thinking about the differentiation versus the uh, versus what is more commodity, for lack of a better term, that you could be leveraging from someone else who's a better provider of that is is key to is key to decide by you invest. So from your perspective, and you've been in this industry for a long time, and you've been working with data transformation, actually digital transformation, for a long time, a lot longer than most anybody that I know of in our industry because a lot of our industry has been focused so much on the risk and fraud issues within data transformation and digital transformation. So overall, in, the, in every industry, and, and especially at Microsoft, what do you believe are the traits of a data transformation winner? I would imagine it goes well beyond the size of the organization and technology alone. Totally, totally. No, I, yeah, I think we should we should take a step back from tech. In fact, your point is not about tech at all. It's more about the the principles, you know, that you really want to align on as in terms of the building blocks of your data strategy. And then because the actual tech, it's like you could make your choices once you've aligned on your principles, you know. So if I had to sort of pick the top three, I would say the first one is to emphasize the importance of what I would broadly describe as shad data foundations. For the very point that you just made, you know, which is in the FSI industry, you spoke about the regulatory compliance. You know the the standards that you have to comply with, you know, and 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 just the rigors that you have to practice around fundamentals like data privacy and GDPR and consumer data protection, especially with emerging laws that are coming out. And these are all very complex problems to operationalize at scale. And in fact, when you're operating at the velocity that we're operating at these days in the cloud and the digital age, you cannot solve for these uh, requirements by just having human governance and human data stewards and human processes. It just won't scale. In fact, that will become the fundamental blocker to be able to innovate and accelerate your digital transformation. So really thinking about common foundations, you know, common foundations, shared foundations, that is ideally a mix of human intelligence that is powered by both machine automation and sort of data-driven intelligence. So Microsoft, we like to speak to it as it's human reinforced intelligent automation. That's a term that we use. Where to scale any business process foundationally, we need to have automation. The, the automation needs to be intelligent because it has to constantly evolve to adapting needs. And we have to ensure that the human IP, which is the signals that the subject matter experts can feed us, is constantly being used to optimize the model and improve the automation. Right. So human reinforced intelligence automation for your shared foundations is, is one of the principles. And shared foundations being key because you do not want multiple teams going and trying to figure out how to build and operate what can and should be common services to, to manage your data. Because if you get that wrong, then you end up having a lot of other challenges to face in terms of truly responsible applications of your data, which can then set you back several years, which you want to try and avoid, right? So shared foundations is one. The second one is embracing the culture of responsible democratization, right? And, and this is really encouraging sort of technology teams and IT organizations who in the past have put very hard shackles around the technology infrastructure and the data. And at times have even locked out like access to data on the account of sort of control and, and privacy and security and all the other essentials. Being able to open up that point of view to recognize that data democratization is a must to be able to accelerate innovation at the edges. And the key word being encouraging them to think about how to make that responsible data democratization, right? So it's really about 
pushing the technology team in a healthy way to think about not blocking democratization, but making it responsible by applying great technology to do that. The third big sort of like principle, I would say, is around sort of like it comes to the application area, the applications where you're actually trying to drive the digital transformation, right? And, And we like to speak to this more as the progression over perfection principle, right? Where adopt a mindset of recognizing that digital transformation or any transformation for that matter is not an overnight undertaking. And also try to avoid approaching it as a big bang project because if there's one thing that's constant, it's change. If there's a second thing that's constant, it's you needing to change from learnings that you get from doing. <laughs> you know, so 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 our mindset here is progression over perfection, right? So identify the areas where you've got good opportunities for impact. Doesn't have to be fully validated, but there's some informed guidance, whether it's data or industry evidence or customer feedback, which shows you that you have an opportunity to do something different. Experiment with it, adopt an experimentation mindset, get the data, learn, iterate, and evolve. Right. So uh, applying the progression over perfection mindset will help you sort of like uh, gain learnings at a faster velocity. And we personally don't like using the phrase fail fast. It's a very broadly used industry term. We prefer using it. We prefer the notion of just learning. Everything is a learning, whether it's failure or whether it's sort of like whether whether it generates the outcome we expected or not, it's still learning. You know, and and the sooner you can get the learnings that need you to pivot or sort of change course, the better, because you end up having lots of savings and efficiencies that you would otherwise sort of like spend a lot more on, right? So adopting that progression over perfection, continuous learning by doing and adapting mindset is super critical from an application perspective, right? So so again, to summarize, think about common foundations for what can and should be a standard enterprise data management solutions. Think about responsible data democratization to enable your teams to apply data and do it effectively. And then from an application and scenarios perspective, like adopt a progression over perfection mindset. Okay, and final question, and we'll keep it short here, but I think it's important for our audience to understand. If they have to start this process from what I'll call scratch, where do they start? What's the first step? Yeah, I would say the very first step would be to try and identify what you think are your lowest hanging opportunities to transform digitally. And starting with your customer is always a good idea. (laughs) Starting with your customer because the customer and the customer's outcomes are the common sort of like goals that we can align everyone in an organization towards. So rather than trying to tackle the more internal facing optimization opportunities or modernization opportunities, start with your customer. What can you do differently to help your customer have a better experience in this new day and age? And then work your way backwards from there. What do you need to make that customer experience transformed? You will most definitely end up on data and intelligence being one of the building blocks to do that. Now incrementally go down and figure out, great, like what portion of data do you first need to bring into a modern solution to enable that? Right. And then rinse, repeat, hydrate. And once you've gotten to good success with customer, then start looking at your other domain, internal operations, employees, and everything else that you can think about. Right. And some organizations are so vested, so bottom that they can probably start parallel tracks too. There's no harm to do that. I'm not saying don't do that. Like, like if you've got the commitment top down, bottoms up, and the energy all aligned across the board, then you can have a track that's about employee experiences. You can have a track that's about customer experiences. You can have a track that's about internal business operations and run all three in parallel. But when running all three in parallel, you got to make sure that you still tra- you still stay true to what can and should be common. <laughs> because the risk of running too fast parallel is you could end up duplicating and recreating what can and should be common instead, and then putting you back sort of like several years. <laughs> So uh, so I think uh, starting with a few select scenarios, focusing on your customer will put you on the right path. 
thank you so much for being on the show today. You know, the look into how Microsoft has done what every organization is involved in right now is really enlightening. And I think it's important also, you said it early in the broadcast, that to really view data transformation as a process as opposed to a project that's not a check mark on a on a to-do list and that it doesn't stop. I mean, you're a great example of somebody that's been at this for quite some time and you're far from done. I mean, it, there's no end point to this. And in fact, the the overall data transformation train train has moving faster than it ever has. So um, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Jim. Thank you for having me. Yep. What a great interview. You know, we, we don't often get the inside look at how a big tech firm handles digital transformation. And even more importantly, how it handles data transformation. It was great to find the inside look at how Microsoft has transformed from a product company to an engagement company, to an experience company. Think about how you use their products and how often you engage in multiple ways rather than just using the product. There's a true analogy here between financial services and Microsoft in the way they're addressing their challenges, how they keep moving forward, and how they're transforming what is traditionally a very stable, not changing the products very much but changing the experiences to move with the times. Thanks in listening to Banking Transform, raise a top five banking podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, please be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to give our show a five-star rating. Also, give it a good review. The reviews are really the key to understanding how we can make the podcast better going forward. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out our latest research on the digital banking report. This has been the production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to producer Leah Longrake, audio engineer Sean Roe Hoffman, and video producer Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, keep learning and keep moving forward. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.